continuing to reflect upon these mysteries of the Holy Rosary, we reflect today upon that third luminous mystery, the proclamation of the kingdom. And appropriately, we have for, uh, for our sequential readings, for the Sunday readings, we begin today the fifth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is the proclamation of the gospel. So a little, a little surgical providence here for us once again. And the proclamation of the kingdom is, is, is the mystery that, that doesn't have a, a particular singular point to it. Right? The rest of the mysteries, it's the nativity of the Lord, it's the baptism, it's the annunciation, right? it's the resurrection. So it's an event that happens that you can go to a particular passage in the Bible and read about it. Right? But the proclamation of the kingdom is... It's a three-year thing. It's, it's all of the stuff that happened for three years of our Lord's ministry. And so when John Paul II was instituting these mysteries, when he was providing them to us uh, so generously in, in, in the year 2000, he encouraged us uh, particularly uh, to reflect upon the proclamation of the kingdom as perhaps to look to the Sermon on the Mount, as that being the event, so to speak, uh, to focus upon, to read in the Scriptures. And so, it's an opportunity for us to, uh, to do so today and to enter into these great mysteries. The fruit of the mystery of the proclamation of the kingdom is that of repentance. And that's an important thing for us, of course. That is the, the, the overall call of the proclamation of the kingdom is that of repentance. I was reflecting uh, again on these, uh, these mysteries and my experience of the places where these things actually happened. And reflecting upon this, uh, this mystery, specifically from our, our visit to the Mount of the Beatitudes, it's helpful to know um, a little something about me first. For those of you who have been to Mass here regularly and, and have seen me celebrate Mass more than once, you likely notice I could be kind of picky liturgically. If you were here a few minutes before Mass, I was tweaking the candles on the altar, just a slight touch. You very often it, it'll happen that you know, we'll go to the altar to prepare the gifts, and I'll, I'll move the, the, missile, the missile and missile stand just an inch to the left. Or when the deacon places the pall on top of the chalice again, I'll take it and tweak it eh, three degrees or so. Very picky about these things. And this is a reality, something, something I know about myself, something I have to continually wrestle with because it honestly distracts me. It's the biggest distraction I have in Mass. A child screaming their head off the entire Mass, not a problem. The Paul being a little bit crooked drives me nuts. Fortunately, I can control most of those things. I can set where I want. I can put things as I like. But my experience in the Mount of the Beatitudes was a reminder that there are a lot of times I can't control a single thing. The Mount of the Beatitudes we went, and we knew we were going there, and we were going to celebrate Mass on the Mount of the Beatitudes. Praise God. What a beautiful place to celebrate Mass, the place where our Lord gave us the, the, the proclamation of the kingdom in so many ways, to rejoice in that gift. And we get there and find that, we're, that, that there's a beautiful chapel inside, but we're going to be celebrating Mass outside on the hillside. Okay, you know, I've, I've done outside Mass, you know, outdoor Mass. You know, it's, it's not ideal, but we can work with it. We, we can make this happen. Okay, not a big deal. And so we, you know, they, they take our, our basket of stuff out there to go, to go set up the altar and all, and, and we start getting vested, myself and my two brother priests, and we start getting vested and putting on all the vestments, and, and uh, the, the sacristan, the religious sister who was a sacristan, comes in and says, you can't wear that. Well, excuse me. 
And so I said, well, there's plenty of vestments. You know, she says, only the celebrant can wear. The celebrant, con celebrants, those who are assisting, can't wear that. Well, no one else is here, sister. And she's like, well, still. Okay, sister. Fluffing off my vestments and throwing them back on the hanger in a very passive-aggressive sort of manner and just letting her know without having to say words that I was not happy with the situation. I know the rules of the church. I know the rules of the liturgy. And it says, priest celebrating Mass is supposed to wear a chasuble, but, you know, sister, okay, I'm in your house. Fair enough. So we get outside. We go, we go proceed to the altar, and then we arrive, and it's a beautiful day. We're up on the hillside, as our Lord says, right? He ascends the mountain, and there he begins to speak. And so it's this beautiful hillside, beautiful grassy, you know, green grassy hillside, and as the, the sea is right there, right there beyond, and, and on the other side of the sea, you can see the, the, the far side of the land, and, and the mountain's coming up, and it's just a, a fantastic day, palm trees and things, and it's just beautiful, but it's also windy. So we get to the altar, and, you know, we've got our, our, our altar, we've got the, the cloth that has to cover the altar, and cloth's flapping in the wind because it's a good windy day, and okay, so now I've got to hold the altar cloth down. So there are three priests celebrating Mass. Two of us are in charge of holding the corners of the altar, the entire Mass, to make sure everything doesn't fly away onto the people who are there with us. Okay, Jesus, this is, this is really getting a little frustrating, right? And so the whole course of the Mass, you know, the, everything is just flapping. The one candle they gave us, but you're supposed to have two candles at least at Mass, but they gave us one because crazy, right? And so they give us the one candle. The one candle blows out, of course, because it's windy. The book that we were using, they would have, they basically pasted it together. And so part of the book would be in the front, some of it would be in the middle, some of it in the back. But it wouldn't flow sequentially, sequentially, so you'd be flipping all over the page trying to figure out where is that page in here? It has to be somewhere. And so we're kind of flipping back and forth the entire mass. Everything's flapping all over the place, and we're just kind of sitting there just my, my brother priest and I just looking at each other from across the altar just going, how long is this Mass going to take, right? <laughs> how quick can we get this thing done? It comes times for communion, and, you know, people, uh, people were, were often kneeling for Holy Communion, a sign of reverence and piety for the Lord. But where they had us was a nice little rocky area with those little, those little dark gray rocks that are like shards of glass if you kneel on it. And so everyone looked at that and was like, not kneeling on that, right? And so I was like, all right, so Eucharistic piety, we'll toss that out the door here too while we're at it. And so all of these things are just kind of piling up and up and up and up. And finally we, we end, we pray the St. Michael prayer because I know the devil was prowling around like a roaring lion devouring me. And then we folded everything up, threw it in the basket and marched back to the sacristy, threw off our vestments, huffed and puffed our way out of the, ma- of the sacristy, the three priests mumbling and grumbling to each other about the whole experience. And I looked and I was like, well, I have to have something nice to say about this place. So I stopped, took out my phone, and I took a picture. And I put it back in my pocket and I walked back to the bus. Done. The picture is on the front of the bulletin this weekend, by the way. It's really pretty. Again, sea, mountains, palm trees. And I walked away having celebrated one of the most distracting, frustrating, prayerless masses that I've offered in 12, nearly 12 years as a priest. And I was immensely frustrated. And I was reflecting on that afterwards and just how appropriate that mass was to celebrate there. 
how very, very appropriate it was, especially to show all the, all the things that arise within my heart when things don't go exactly the way that I like them, particularly with the thing that is for me the highest of importance, the sacred liturgy. Again, the fruit of this mystery is repentance, which means, first and foremost, that we have sinned. And I knew very clearly in my heart, I had sinned extraordinarily well at the Mount of the Beatitudes. I was impatient. I was aggressive in my voice as well as in my actions. I was not prayerful. I was not prepared for Mass. of mumbling and grumbling, complaining about the whole thing, some words likely coming forth from my lips that were, uh, you know, helpful to bring to the Lord in confession immediately following. And all this time, just a hardness of heart towards this religious sister, towards this situation, towards all of these things. And I recognize there is much in me that needed to repent. There was a great deal within my own heart that is still not converted to Jesus. There's a lot of work to do. And this is the gift of the mystery. There's a fruit of repentance for our sins. Again, when our blessed Lord climbed up on that mountain, when he ascended the Mount of Beatitudes to that beautiful place, the people gathered and they, and they sat down on the, on the green fields and they listened to a man say things that would be shocking, disturbing, and challenging. When we hear the, the gospel today, we're, we're kind of used to it. We're used to the message. But the things that our blessed Lord was telling the people then was absolutely revolutionary in so many ways. Things that challenged them in a whole variety of things across their life. I would like to give each of you a little bit of homework this week if you're willing to entertain the thought. And I invite you to read chapter, the, the, uh, the St. Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the whole thing, right? So the beginning of chapter 5, as we heard today, Jesus goes up and he goes up the mountain and he sits down and his disciples came to him. Chapter 8 begins, and when Jesus came down the mountain, he did these things, right? So 5, 6, and 7 is all the same thing. It's the longest continuous portion of the gospel where our Lord is speaking and teaching the people. So it's important to, to hear that, to hear it all in one shot. Because our Lord, he says so many things that we hear little bits of here and there, but to hear it all in one shot is to go, wow, I have a lot of work to do. The Lord begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are merciful, clean of heart, peacemakers. For those who are persecuted, those are not things that one ordinarily thinks of as blessings. And then from there, the Lord continues in the sermon. He talks about the reality of the law, the all-important law, which for so many people at the time was the thing by which they were saved. He talked about anger within one's heart, about marriage, adultery, and divorce, about the call to love one's enemies, not just tolerate them, about the requirements of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, about not worrying about the things of this life, not judging others, about the call to trust radically in God, to ask and to seek and to knock. He spoke to the people about the trees and how good trees bear good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit. 
and to test whether what kind of tree we might find ourselves to be based upon the fruits of our life. And in the end, a call to do God's will and not simply to hear it, but to do it. Not simply to take these words and go, wow, that was a great sermon, Jesus, and then go back home unchanged, but to look at it and to hear, go, wow, that was fantastic, and it was terrifying because I'm not living up to what he said, and then to do something about it. This is what Jesus wanted of us. The Sermon on the Mount is really an invitation for a conversion of our lives, and it begins with repentance. Repentance only happens whenever I recognize that I'm not right, when I'm not well, when there's something missing, when I'm off the mark, when I've sinned, fallen short, whatever, however we want to describe it. It begins with a recognition that I'm not perfect. And then it's for us to turn to the Lord and and to go to that blessed place, for us in the back of the church, the little place with the curtains, where we can go to the priest and we can say, I've sinned, and here's what I've done. It is there to repent of our sins, to to lament them, to be sorrowful for, for them, to be sorrowful about the reality of our sin, what it does between us, between others, with us and God, to lament these things with sorrow in our heart, to have contrition, and to know that the Lord God frees us from them. And then he sends us off with his grace to go and to try again, always to try again, even if we'll fall short a thousand times, to get up a thousand times and to keep on pressing forward. This is what Christ calls us to, repentance, a willingness to change something in ourselves. The reality is that sometimes we don't necessarily want to change things. There's a whole variety of personality tests that are out there these days. There's uh, the classic Myers-Briggs, and there's the, the DISC test, and there's, the, there's the, the assessment where you can find out what color you are, or what number you are, or what ice cream flavor you are, or what kind of cereal you are. And all of these things, they determine your, you know, is this your personality? Because you're Fruit Loops, here you are. Here's what you got, right? Here's your good parts, here's your bad parts. And there's a thing that, that sometimes whenever we see this, we can see, well, that's just my personality. This is who I am. And we allow all of those things that may be shortcomings of our personality, we just chalk it up and say, well, that's just who I am. I can't really change that. It's just who I am. And we can let it stay. And the call of Jesus in this, in this mystery, the call of repentance, is not to let that take place. It's to recognize that in every single one of us, nothing that is not of God should simply stay as it is. It doesn't mean that we can fix everything with a moment's notice or one good confession and we're good for the rest of our life, a sort of once saved, always saved Catholic edition. But it is for us to acknowledge the fact that, that there is work to be done and how blessed we are to be able to work upon it. How blessed we are to be able to know that, that whenever we see our sins, it's not just at the last day where the Lord said, well, It would have been nice for you to know that, but you didn't, so goodbye, right? The Lord in his love for us, he shows us all of these things. He tells us this is the way to heaven. He tells us if you're doing these things, these are the way that leads you to hell. And he says, out of goodness for you, out of my love for you, I tell you these things because I want your joy. I want your peace. I want you to be with me in heaven. And he gives us very clearly the road to march. And then he says, come. And for the times we fall short, 
Again, how easy it is for us to simply go to confession and to say, Lord Jesus, mercy, and it's there. As we offer this holy mystery, as we reflect upon this, this word from the proclamation of the kingdom and the call to repentance, is to give thanks to God for these things, to give thanks to God for his revelation of himself and of his law, to give thanks to God for the revelation of, of the path that leads us to heavenly joy and the path that leads us to sorrow, and especially for the repentance that can be ours, the generosity of the Lord who in so many ways is willing to give us mercy over and over and over again. Because none of us will be perfect in this life, but he calls us still to continue to strive to be, never to give up those places where we need to turn more and more to Christ, but always to keep striving after him. And so we pray that by this holy mass, by this mystery, by the gift of this Eucharist and the grace poured out to us here, that he will increase in us a rejoicing in the proclamation of the kingdom and the good news, that we might allow it to resonate deeply within our hearts, but especially to grow in our repentance for our sins, that we might be able to come more and more perfectly each day, the ones who Christ calls us to be.